So I had Austin Reed, you can pull me down, Jake, or whatever. I think everybody can hear me. So I had Austin read those two texts. It was about 30 verses that he read. Uh, we're not covering 30 verses. Uh, we're just going to cover a few verses, but I wanted to give you a better context. If you missed the context, which it is easy to do when you're hearing a lot, this is the second letter to uh, the church at Corinth, and what Paul is, is talking to them about is their offering, is their tithing, is their giving. And and Layered throughout the text, he's basically giving the specifics, the heart condition, and all of these things that comes behind tithing. Now, you who are visitors with us today, you, you just came on, you just happened to come on the right day. Um, I remember the last time, two and a half years ago, that I taught on tithing. We had some visitors here, and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to, hopefully, they don't think that we're after money or anything like that. No, not at all. And I think once you hear, what I'm going to present today, it, you might think otherwise. They don't want money at all. So um, you'll understand how, you'll understand more once we go through all of this. So visitors, I'm glad you're here, but this is what you're getting today, okay? You're getting a talk through tithing, which I think is going to be helpful, you know, because I think we have an idea of what we think tithing is. And I think if, 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 if I'm safe to make this generalization, that most people probably think, oh, if you give 10%, that's what the Bible says, just give 10% and you're fine. You know, now you might have your own idea of what that money goes to in some churches. Some people might think, well, it goes to pad the pockets of the pastor. That's not the case here at Haven Ridge. You might think it goes to a number of different things. And yeah, any money that comes in, it does. We have to have rent. You know, we do a lot of different ministries. We support church planters. We support missionaries, you know, uh, and these are, these are necessary things to do. You have to have money, you know, to do those things. Now, we can say we could just support them through their prayers, but, you know, uh, how do you think God answers prayers? By calling people to bring money to provide so that different churches can come off the ground, so that they can be planted, so they can have places to meet, so that they can do all the things that they, that they do, and so that I can have donuts on Sunday mornings. Just kidding. So that's not the way that goes. But, but here's the question. Where does, where does tithing come from? You know, where do we get this idea? We all have an idea of tithing. We've all heard probably the 10%. We all have this idea of stuff, give from your gross and all of these things. But where does it come from? If we trace it back, what's the root of tithing? Well, it's not New Testament. It's not New Covenant. It's Old Testament. It's Old Covenant, which matters because you don't adhere to an Old Covenant anymore. You are not national Israel, and you didn't exist before Jesus. When Jesus came, and with his death and resurrection, he gave us a new covenant. And you'll notice in this new covenant, things started to shake up just a little bit. When Jesus is saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and he's mixing up all kinds of stuff, right? So something has changed. It's called a new covenant for a reason. There's a newness there, and that definitely applies to tithing. So let's talk a little bit about history, okay? So I might deviate from my notes because my notes are very thorough, and I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of that for time's sake. So here's basically the issue. In the old, under the Old Covenant, under the Mosaic Law, hang with me, under the Mosaic Law, there were basically a number of different tithes that were offered by Israel, by those who... You know, by, by those who God chose, that God selected for himself, that he would make his people and all this stuff. Israel, what you read in the Old Testament, those were given the Mosaic Law, Jews. They followed the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law all was a precursor to the New Covenant. It was setting up things that we enjoy now. It was foreshadowing. It was all of these great things. There was temples. 
There was a temple. There was a tabernacle. There was offerings. There were sacrifices. There were priests, you know, a Levitical priest and all these things. And the money that was given was given for that purpose. There were three tithes that were given under the Mosaic law in addition to a free will tithe. But there was a free will tithe which said, just give what's on your heart. Just give whatever as an act of worship to the Lord. And back then, they might not have come with a couple of Benjamins. They would have come maybe with their first fruits. They might have come with some gold or something like that or something that they raised that was the best of their portion and said, here's what I offer. And this is an act of me giving my best to God. You know, we've heard that before. We want to give our best to God. You know, and maybe you hear a bit more of the way we dress. I want to dress my best for God. You know, and I guess that that's fine if your heart's in the right place. But be careful that you're not thinking that your actions or something like that earns you some kind of favor or merit with God because then it becomes legalism and problematic. So under the Mosaic Law, three mandated tithes. And the word tithe just means a tenth. That's where we get 10%. That's what tithe means, tenth. That's the word, tenth. So that's what they got. But here's the reality. For all of us that are bound to this 10% old covenant mosaic law issue, we've missed it already because when you total up all the tithes that were given, it was somewhere in the higher 20s as a percent. So it might be a little bit worse if you come to me and say, well, I give 10. I'm convicted about 10. Okay, glad. glad. Let's follow you. I'm glad. Let's follow your convictions. And let's be really biblical about it you really should be given somewhere between 25 and 28%. And that might not settle as well to your pocketbooks, you know, as a, as a 10%. But I'm going to tell you something completely different, but something that's completely biblical this morning. If you want to find these places where these, where these uh, tithes were given, which they were a temple tax, it was a tax to pay for the temple stuff. It was a tax to pay for the priests because the priests needed to be able to devote their time like that, much, much like we might tithe and, 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 and pay elders so that they can do the business of the church. But there it was law. There it was mandated. Because these priests, these Levitical priests, needed to be taxed or needed to be, needed to be paid. The temple needed to be taken care of. You know, there was a taxation for the poor, and these are all found in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. So you read through that stuff and wade through those kind of difficult waters of those two books, and you'll start seeing all of these things. So these, this was taxation. This was law. This was mandated. They had to do this. They had to do this, and this was all under the Mosaic law. But with Jesus came the new covenant. So what happens to the old covenant practice of tithing? What happens to the old covenant pr uh, practice of tithing with the inauguration of the new covenant? That's what you have to ask yourself. So what's changed? What's different? So we'll move forward into New Covenant tithing, or you can say New Testament tithing, but we tithe now under a new covenant. And I'll offer you the same comfort that Paul offers the church in Corinth. I'm going to offer you the same thing, just Paul's words. I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start by, well, let me, let me back up a little bit just to let you know, if you want biblical evidence for the fact that we are not under a Mosaic law. We're not under an old covenant law system anymore. Galatians 3, 15 through 29, if you want to mark that down and read that later. Romans 7, 4, which I'll read to you now. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Clearly, they're saying you've died to that. There's an old law that you're not bound to because you've died to that. And now you've been free to Jesus. You're under grace. 
not under law. Hebrews 9.10, the same sentiment is there. So those are for your reference for you to go back and look at. So let's discuss new covenant tithing. And this is the first point I want to give to you is new covenant giving is not mandated law. You understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you grasp what I'm saying? Your elder is saying to you, the Bible does not mandate that you tithe. Some of you might think, well, well this is great news. We're rich. You know, um, but that's not where I'm going with this, but I'm letting you know that new covenant giving is not mandated law, but free will giving is the pattern in the New Testament church, which I'll argue from Scripture as we go throughout today. So I'm going to offer you the same comfort in the words of Paul. He says this, and also already read it in verse 8 of chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians. He says this, I say this not as a command. You'll notice that Paul does this. We had this uh, discussion last week. Uh, and so you notice that Paul says, this is not as a command. I'm coming to you not as a command. He does this in another place in Scripture. When Paul is talking about single life, for those that want to say, oh, you have to be married because the Bible says you, you have to be married or it's not good to be single, Paul weighs in on it. And he says, look, I'm giving my opinion. I'm giving my judgment. He makes it very clear, as Paul does when he's giving his opinion. He says, here it is. This is, this is me speaking, not the Lord, he says, his advice is that you stay single. And why does he say that? Like himself, he's a little biased. He says it so that you can give all of your attention to the Lord. Because when you're married, you have to give attention to one another, to your family. If you have a family, there are responsibilities given to the man, given to the woman in a biblical marriage and all of these things in a marriage period. And he's saying, hey, if you don't have those responsibilities, it frees you up to do more directly for God. And he's just making that argument. He's not saying it's law. He's not saying that's how it has to be. He's just saying, this is, this is my opinion. This is just what I'm saying, some advice I'm giving you. Take it or leave it. And it's the same thing here. He's saying, I say this not as a commandment in the context of new covenant giving. And then he says in verse 10, and, this, and in this matter, I give you my judgment. Your translation might read opinion. The actual word there is opinion. I give you my opinion. So right there within two different verses, Paul is letting you know, I'm not telling you that you have to give. Because the matter of the fact is that God enjoys a cheerful giver. And if giving is by necessity, if it's like, no, you have to do it, then it becomes a hindrance. Maybe you can give begrudgingly. And God's, that's not an acceptable form of offering to the Lord. When we worship, if giving is a form of worship, you know, does God want us to come with our, with our grit teeth, with furled eyebrows? Yeah, because I have to. I'm going to offer you my worship. I'm going to do all these things. That's not acceptable worship. You know, does that honor Jesus when we're like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off today. You know what, I don't, I'm mad at you. You know, I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm going to sing and expect that to be acceptable to you. No. No, that's not, that's not the idea behind worship. When our motives are impurely driven, that's not behind, that's, that's not acceptable worship. Just like a, uh, an offering that is offered begrudgingly or reluctantly, or the scripture says, with compulsion. It's not an acceptable offering to the Lord. So in a nutshell, he's saying it's not mandated, but the way in which you give is mandated. So you have to check your motives at the door when you're offering something. Because if it's an act of worship, if your generosity is an act of worship so that others can be blessed... God's desire that you would have the right motives behind that. 
So that's the comfort I want to give to you that Paul says this is not a command, and he says this is a matter of my judgment, matter of my opinion. Giving is an issue of faith. We're going to roll through very quickly some of these issues. So this is going to get to the practicality. It's going to get to the heart of what giving is. I think giving is the pattern in the New Testament. As you read through there, you see that they are giving. Jesus speaks much, or Paul speaks much towards their generosity, towards their giving, towards the gifts that they're preparing for people. You know, he, he addresses those issues. So there's definitely a pattern. There's definitely something practical about it to take care of needs that we have. There's def- definitely something God honoring about it. But there's no strong biblical argument to say this is mandated because we're under a new covenant. So giving is first an issue of faith. So I'm moving from 2 Corinthians 8 to 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, right? And he says, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. When I lived in the Delta, Delta's an agrarian society, a lot of farmers there, and some of the farmers that came to the, that were a part of the church, thousands and thousands of acres. And I got to plow, not plow one of those fields, I got to plant one of those rice fields before, which is a ton of fun. And, and, and the, the farmer made sure that I knew with all the pounds, the hundreds and thousands, the thousands of pounds of seed that he had, he said, I want to make sure that this goes over every square inch of the land. Because he wants to sow bountifully so that he can reap bountifully. It doesn't make sense to have all the capability of, of having a harvest that is through the roof and only planting a little bit. It just doesn't make sense. And this is the sentiment behind what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, and I'm not a health and wealth, prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm teaching at all. There's a way to understand these things. And I'm not saying that what you sow, you will reap in the same way as in if you sow in a financial means, that God's going to bless you in a financial means. That doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to go that way. But the Bible does promise blessings. It does promise certain things. And God gives those and fulfills his promise in in whatever way he chooses to. I think one of the hardest things for us to do in our free will giving to the Lord, I think one of the hardest things is to give of our finances because that's what makes the world go round, right? I mean, we have bills, we have responsibilities, we have kids, we have mouths to feed, you know? We have husbands to buy fun stuff for, right? We have, we have all these things that we have to do. And it's very difficult to do those things because my, Sarah and I have these conversations all the time. You know, Sarah is someone that likes the comfort of a nest egg, you know? I'm like, let's just trust the Lord and spend it, you know? Uh, I mean, give it. I mean, give it. I mean, give it. So, so, you know, we have this conversation a good bit. Sometimes it's pleasant. Sometimes it's worse than pleasant. But it's a difficult thing. And I think ultimately that's a gospel issue because perhaps when we don't give or even when we do, perhaps we don't give rightly because maybe we don't trust fully. You know, maybe we feel like, okay, God, is, God is, is telling me to do something, to provide, to give, you know, but this is just a real struggle for me. This is just really tough because what if this happens in my life? What if this comes up? What if this happens? We really need a plan B. We need something to fall back on, but God's saying, hey, you need to trust me. He's not saying go into debt. He's not saying be unwise with your finances. He's saying, but Give. Give. Glorify me and watch how I take care of you. 
Is that not what the scripture says? Do I not read Isaiah 6 or Matthew 6 at how the Lord looks out for his children? Do I not have to apply that to this context? I'm not saying go out on the street. I'm not saying be unwise financially at all. I'm not saying go into debt. Let me just reiterate that. I'm saying the Lord's saying, do this, trust him. It is a gospel issue. Do you trust that he'll protect you, that he'll provide for you? Do you trust that you'll make it through times when it might be a little tougher, a little tighter than you prefer, although you can still provide and take care of your family? I think there's a good example of this kind of giving in the widow's might. In the Gospels, it says, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make one penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. She has put in everything she had. The Lord honored that because she's saying, you're worth my sacrifice. You're worth everything I have. So giving is an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith, but not only that, it's an issue of means. Let me just walk through this with you. 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians go back to 2 Corinthians 8.3. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that, you also, that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Move over to 2 Corinthians 9. I think that's where I should have stayed. 2 Corinthians 9, and listen to this. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Did I miss that? I'm sorry. Okay, my bad. There we go. I have it, I have it underlined. There it is. Go back to verse 3. I think I said that, but read my mind was on 8. Here we go, verse 3. Thanks, Tina. For they gave according to their means. They gave according to what they had. They gave according to their, to their means, to what they had to offer. And the sentiment is still there, and you can apply it. Like when Jesus spoke in Ephesians, or when Paul spoke in Ephesians 1, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? According to the riches of his grace. So out of, out of all that Jesus has, out of all that God has, that's where he draws to give us mercy and give us grace and give us forgiveness. Not too long ago, we look at Philippians 4.19, where it said, and my God will supply every need of yours. We talked about contentment, remember that? And then Paul writes, and my God will supply every need of yours according to what? According to his riches in glory. So the same sentiment is there when, when we read here in, ch- in verse 3 of chapter 8, for they gave according to their means. They gave out of their depths. Their depths might be shallow, but they dug down and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give. I'm going to offer this. This is what's happening in that context, and this is what Paul's speaking of. So giving is, a, is an issue of your means. What means do you have? And let me go ahead and say that. If God is telling you to give, he might tell Joey to give something different than he tells Evan to give. So everybody's giving obviously doesn't mean the same thing because giving is not only an issue of means, but it's an issue for the individual. Let's read on through in, uh, in I think, in verse, yeah, in verse 3, and then we'll go to verse 7 of chapter 9. So, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, 
of their own accord, of their own accord, and now move to 9-7, where it says, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. So Kelly's given is different than mine. The assumption is Kelly has sought the Lord. Kelly and Jake together have sought the Lord and said, Lord, would you have us give? If so, what would you have us give? And I, on my own, or with Sarah, which we don't make a good practice of this, I'll just admit it, this all is kind of crashing down on me and saying, you know what, it's easy to just say, well, we're just going to write that, that 10. Have we considered the fact that maybe God is saying less or maybe God is saying more? Have we consulted the Lord on that move? And I would say probably 99.9 plus 1% of the time, we don't do that. We don't go and consult the Lord because we think, oh, we've been given our 10. We've been, we've been doing this thing. We've been faithful to that. So giving is an issue for the individual. It says it right there. It says, give as he has decided in his own heart. So I can't, I can't tell the Finleys, this is what you need to be doing. God has to tell the Finleys what they need to be doing. And he may say to them, don't. They have to be convinced of that. And it's not a sin for them if they show up because they're not under Mosaic law, because they're not paying taxations. Yeah. So giving is an issue for the individual. So giving is not as simple as one time, a one-time figure for long seasons unless God has revealed that to you, which is why it's also not just an issue for the individual, but it's also an issue of the will. Listen to verse 7 again. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. There's the individual aspect of giving. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So each one must give as they have decided in their own heart. That word decided there means a deliberate choosing. Deliberate implies that there's some thought that goes into it. That it's not haphazard, that it's not without thought, without consideration, that it's just, you know what, just throw, just, just throw a $100 bill in the plate. We don't have a plate, but throw a $100 bill in the box without giving any thought to it. I would argue, although that money's usable, obviously, but at the end of the day, the desire is that God would honor your heart, that your heart would honor Him. And that should be the primary concern with us as a church body, is where is your heart in what you give? Is your offering... Is it, is it given from a heart with the right disposition? Is it given because you've deliberated, because you've made a thoughtful decision and said, you know what, here it is. And I would just submit to you this. If you're saying, I just, I don't hear from God. I don't know, we give this much and we started praying about this and I'm just not hearing anything. Then maybe pray a different way and say, God, we're gonna give this. And Lord, if this isn't right, stir our hearts you know, change our minds, shut doors, whatever, Lord. Cause us to miss sleep at night if this is not right so that we can kind of hone in on this and nail this down and find out what, what you're telling us to do because each person's giving is according to what they decide in their own heart. And then he says, after he gives the affirmation of what you've decided in your own heart, then he gives, he gives two prohibitions. He gives two negative uh, negative responses. He says, yes, give as you've decided in your heart, but don't give out of reluctance and do not give out of compulsion. Compulsion means necessity. And this is one reason I would argue, again, that under the new covenant, the giving is not mandated as law. Because if God rejoices and celebrates a cheerful giver and something is mandated, 
How often do you think people just trying to keep a law, how often do you think they're going to be cheerful in their giving? I'm not saying it can't happen, but I would argue this is just me and my understanding. Let me step away. And I'm not saying thus says the Lord. I'm not saying this is what's so very clear. I'm just saying it would make sense that God is saying, here's another reason. It's not necessity. He says, don't give out of necessity. Give out of will, give out of joy, give out of pleasure, give out of delight rather than duty. I think that's what he's saying here because God loves that. He loves a cheerful giver, not someone who just says, you know what, good gracious. You know, I'm going to, I'd really rather do this with this money. You know, I don't trust that the church will be able to make good decisions with this money. You know, we're just, we're just, we're just not. And then, and then maybe you do give but you give it out of compulsory. You give it out of what you feel is necessity, but it's not from a, from a proper heart disposition. It's not from a disposition of duty, but rather, or a disposition of delight, but rather a disposition of duty. So be careful of that. How many of your kids show a pattern of willfulness and joy when it comes time to do their chores? Probably not many. I think I may have gotten the eye-rolling once or twice, which didn't end well for the children. You know, I get huffs and puffs. Oh, I get this long moan, you know, like he's, or like they've got some disturbance inside of them trying to get out. I don't, I don't know. I'm like, are you kidding? You know, and I've become my mom and I've become my dad on occasion and said, who puts a roof over your head? Your mama does, just to let you know. <laughs> uh no, they do it out of compulsion. They do it out of necessity. They don't do it out of joy. I think we would all admit the deepest joy in service comes from unsolicited service. So giving is an issue of the will. Giving is also an issue of joy. That's what we're talking about. Be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Our offering in the church should never be the byproduct of duty but of delight. The acceptability of our gifts are contingent on the disposition of the heart. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I would say for out of the heart, the mouth or the, 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 the offering is given. Giving has less to do with quantity and more to do with quality. In a certain sense. But there is something to be said about when he says to give sacrificially, give bountifully, give generously. And that has a qualitative and a quantitative um, note behind it. Tithing is, not a mean, tithing is not meant or giving or an offering is not meant to be burdensome. It's not meant to... Uh, reluctance, it connotes distrust. Reluctance connotes a joylessness, which is why I think he says don't do it out of, out of reluctance. You know, and I, I want to be very clear. I'm saying to you, if you're here today... And you like wrote a check to put in a little box over there, which is hidden nicely in the corner. If, if, if your heart's disposition is, you know what, I wrote this check, but I just wasn't happy about it and I'm frustrated and all this stuff, take it home with you and don't leave it here. Because the concern is, and <laughs> the concern is for your heart's disposition. The concern is for God's glory. Not that the church can sit on thousands of dollars. Not that the elders can be paid. That's not the primary concern. Because wouldn't we rather, I think I can speak for Austin, we would rather shepherd, we would rather lead a church that is healthy at its core, that, that, that gets it, that gets why the heart matters, 
why their affections for Jesus and why their love for the church matters. And tithing can be an outpouring of their affections for Jesus and their love for a church rather than compulsory and reluctant. So we'd say if you're here today and you're offering some kind of offering under reluctance or compulsory, we would say keep it. Keep it because I don't think that's an acceptable offering. It is a joy to give up what is valuable to gain. It is a joy to give up what is valuable to gain, what is, and, and, and that is more valuable. The, the, in Matthew 13, 46, it's just a couple of sentences that are given that, that really captures it well. This is the man who gladly sold everything for the pearl of great price. He wanted this pearl, and he had land, he had wealth, he had all these things, and he gave it all up just so he could get this pearl. That was it. He found the pearl of highest value and sold all that he had because it was, it was worth it, because it was something greater. He sacrificed so that he could have that. I think there's the sentiment there that we might give bountifully, we might give uh, freely and with joy, maybe until it hurts, because what we get in return is of such greater value than any monetary claim or monetary possession or asset that we could put in a box. So giving is an issue of joy, but giving is also, and finally, giving is an issue of God's glory. So move with me. Uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And here we go. Listen to this. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Stop. You will be enriched in every way. And if you just stop it there, then that's when you move dangerously into health and wealth prosperity preaching. If someone takes that and says, ah, see, here it is. This is what God wants to do. He just wants to give you and give you and give to you so that you can be enriched in every way. But here's the rest of that sentence. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So there it is. The reason God is giving to you is so that you can give to others. God is blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others. This is the cyclical nature of, not, uh, of offerings in the local church. We give so that we can bless others. And blessing comes in the form of supporting and sponsoring church planters and missionaries and so on. It's giving so that we can give. And the more generously giving is done, the more generously it can be reciprocated. And that's the idea. But I said that this is a final issue of God's glory. Listen to the last part of this sentence. You will be enriched in every way to, gen uh, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And this is the heart of all of it. The heart of all of this is God is saying, this is for my glory. You being richly blessed and then you in turn richly blessing others through your bountiful giving, through your generosity, it's all for my glory. Was Jesus not given so that we might have salvation at the end of the day and ultimately so that God might be glorified in rescuing us from a well-deserved hell? Is that not supposed to be our response? Who would have ever thought you relate tithing to Jesus? But here it is, that God has given us Christ so that our sins might be forgiven 
And there is no more generous a gift than Jesus. God didn't spare his son, but he gave his son that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that is a generous gift indeed so that our lives can be spent not repaying a debt because we don't owe. God has justified us in Jesus. But a life spent saying, you know what? Because you are good and because it is my privilege to glorify you, I will give with my life in whatever way or form that you should choose. God gives so that we might give. God gives so that we might build his kingdom instead of our own kingdoms because that's sometimes what we do with our own finances. God's generosity towards us is so that we might in turn be generous towards others. And God gives so that through our generosity, he will be glorified. You see, giving is not about getting rich. Giving is not about having a nest egg for the church to fall back on when times are hard. Giving is not ultimately to pay leaders, support missionaries, and make rent, which, which happens to keep things going. It is ultimately about God being glorified as the one who first gave. That's why our motives matter so much. Don't you see if someone gives out of necessity, compuls- compulsion, or reluctance, or a hard, nasty heart, it's not recognizing the very reason we're giving. It's denying that. So at the end of the day, whatever God tells us to give, the reason behind it is for His glory. And that should be our disposition. That should be our perspective behind what we give. So I just pray that that would resonate. And each and every time, if, if God is leading you that way, that we give, we consider what our gift does. It may not be arbitrary. It may not be thoughtless. Well, may we really consider what is God telling us? And do we agree? And do we celebrate the fact that our generosity, whether it's big or small in the world's eyes, that God will greatly multiply that in whatever way he deems fit for his glory? And are we on board with that? And my prayer would be that we would be. I don't think it's very often that you'll hear a pastor preaching that you don't have to give. Unless God tells you to, then you better. Or God will take it from you. <laughs> so let's pray together and we'll... we'll uh, well, I'll let you know what's next. Father, my prayer is simple this morning, and that is that you would help us to connect with what the Bible teaches about giving. Lord, that we are under a new covenant. And Lord, for me right now, as I've researched, as I've combed through the Scriptures, as I've read multiple sources, Lord, they say the same thing, so I feel like I'm in good company as I'm understanding the text. Not something that I take lightly when I come up here and say something that might be a little bit different than what folks are normally used to hearing. So, Father, I pray if there's a chance that I'm in error, that what has been said will be dismissed, or that you'd forgive me. Well, Lord, if it's true, Lord, I pray that it would resonate in our souls and in our minds, grant us perspective, so that whatever our offering might be, that at the end of all things, it would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.